0: So, we want to talk this morning about um, a topic that we started last week to talk about. It's a topic of peace. Um, and it's a very important principle. It's more than a topic. It's a building block. And um, <clears throat> we've been in the last couple of months been talking about what is God busy building in the earth. That's a good question. 2019, is he still busy? Is he actively busy? Absolutely. What he's not building is uh, a personal home for you somewhere in the heavens. Whatever he's building is here on the earth. Earth has always been his focus. That's why he created it. Whatever God does, he's doing it here. Heavens is okay. But what he's doing is here in the earth. And um, it's a an very important... Sorry, I'm going to make sure my phone is on silent. Um, a very important principle and very important to understand what He actually is building. You know, when you, when you know what God is doing, you kind of like have peace with the process. You project yourself in such a way that I think you can work with Him. Instead of wondering what He's doing, if there's one thing I... Never really want for us ever to have as a church is to wonder what is God doing. We don't have to wonder anymore. And we can categorically tell you what he is building. And the Bible says in the book of Acts, chapters 15 to verse 16, it says, and he's rebuilding the tabernacle of David. Now James the Apostle was quoting that scripture from the Old Testament. From Amos chapter 9 verse 11 specifically where he said I'm rebuilding the tabernacle of David and then the prophet Amos gives a couple of extra features of what this tabernacle is really you know what its ability is when it says and the sweetness of the wine will drip from the mountain in Amos that's what it speaks about when it speaks a reference it. You know, the, the, the nature or the t- trademarks of the tabernacle of David. And, and, and you know, when the Bible speaks of mountains, it's not talking about a literal mountain. It's talking about kingdoms. It talks about people. And when it talks about the sweetness of the wine, it's not talking about a panetosh or a merlot or a cab Sav. It's really talking about the word of God, the revelation of God that's dripping down from this people that God is building. And 1 Peter 2 is very powerfully making a statement when it says that you are a living stone in this very thing that God is building. And so, <clears throat> what is NSYNC Church all about? What is our desire? What is our focus? Our focus is to understand on a micro level what God is doing on a macro level and to try and understand how we built you know, every detail of the macro picture, the the bigger picture, into the hearts of people. This translates into a lifestyle. It translates into a lifestyle where you as the believer not only know who you are in Christ, but where the Christ in you has the ability to add value to your life as a human being here in the earth. What church is all about is not just to get you a ticket to heaven so that you can miss help. But it's about empowering. It's about empowering earthen vessels. Paul says we are earthen vessels. Empowering earthen vessels. And, it, and in a life and in the world where we live in, it's so important to understand who you are in Christ and also to understand the abilities that you have as an individual, but not just as an individual, as a family. God is a family God. If there's one thing we need to know is that God is a family God... And whenever God does something, He always has family in mind first. Anything He does, family is always on His mind. You're part of that family. doesn't matter which part of the world you come from or how broken your natural family is. I want to say this morning to you, not in cliche form, if God has sent you to this place, and I say that because I don't think God sends the whole of Belito to us. (laughs) But if God has sent you to this place, then you have found a family. You have found a family that will have grace for you, that will love you the way you are. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I will disappoint you quite a number of times. But my commitment to you will be unquestionable. And my life towards you will be unquestionable. In the process, in my commitment is this, to take the word of God and to take these principles of the season and to build it into your life. And through relationship, in a very nice way, I promise you, in a very nice way, hold you accountable to the very principles God has built into your own life as well, and uh, and I think that's important. So last week, you know, the three weeks ago, we you know we said we have to be practical about what the tabernacle of David looks like, and we said the tabernacle of David is not it does you know the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David is according to Acts and Amos it doesn't start necessarily with a pitching of the tent if you probably know this, that the tabernacle of David was a tent and the Ark of Covenant was brought into that on Mount Zion and, and so forth. But that's not really where it starts. The tabernacle of David starts when God raises David. That's where it starts. So when we study this macro plan of God, this bigger picture of God, we see how God raised up a normal human being. David is not the pinnacle. He had lots of faults. Now, that shouldn't bring us to a point of judgment. That really should encourage us to see that God can use any one of us, even if we have made mistakes, like David has made mistakes. So we're not looking to the flesh of David so much as we're looking to the little building blocks, the nuggets of grace that God installed in David's life, David's life, even before he was born, in the form of his great-grandfather called Boaz, and his great-grandmother called Ruth. And so one of the things we saw in the life of David was that God raised in him this principle of generosity. And we said one of the things we see in the tabernacle of David, one of the principles we understand of the tabernacle of David is that it creates a culture of generosity. And I just want to say one thing about that before we go on because we've got lots of other things to say. But generosity is part of our culture Now, nothing becomes part of your culture. In other words, nothing becomes part of your everyday living if you don't practice it continuously. You know, if you want to create a new habit in your life, they say do something. Do the same thing for at least 30 days every day consistently. And that will create normally momentum. But, you know, that's simply the definition of momentum is do the same thing consistently over a period of time. That creates momentum. Just like in anything in life, you need spiritual momentum. In your growth. So the application of scripture on a daily basis, a continuous basis, over a period of time, creates momentum in your life. A lot of people wonder, where is my momentum? I don't feel so powerful as I was many, many years ago. But maybe you've stopped adding the building blocks that create spiritual momentum in your life. And so I want to encourage you, just, you know, as between brackets. If you want momentum as a son of God, we don't feel so much the friction of life but you understand how you can overcome different points of friction in your life through the momentum that you have in the relationship with God, then be consistent in growing. (laughs) Practical things. Practical growth. Be consistent in growing. And, And you don't grow necessarily only by coming here, but you grow also by coming here and opening your heart to receive the Word of God. So, generosity definitely. And there's so many things you can say about generosity. Last week we spoke about peace and how important peace was in the life of David. David had the ability to come into an atmosphere of peace where his own life was threatened and by doing what God told him to do was able to get rid of demonic attacks and spiritual forces in his life and on his life. And so we see when we talk about this peace that we want to talk about that it's much more than you know, like some of our friends from, from the eastern part of the world. They're like, peace, you know, peace, this, peace, that. It's much more than that. It is a spiritual force. Nothing sums that up for me more beautiful than a scripture. And I want you to please turn there to Philippians 4, verse 6 to verse 7. It talks about this particular peace that we are talking. I believe God is restoring this peace in the church. In the church. I was thinking this morning, you know... Um, of uh, these beauty pageants, and I like almost every time when these, on these, in these beauty pageants, when they, when a lady goes out and they say, "What do you want for the world?" They all say, "World peace, world peace," you know. And uh, <clears throat> it's all nice and good and everything, but you know, there's a way that you get to that, and uh, the peace that, that, that we want, everybody wants peace, isn't it true? You want peace in your mind, you want peace in your marriage. You probably want peace in your finances. You want peace in your friendships. Uh, everybody wants peace. It's just how we get there. And what our understanding of peace is. I do believe that this, when we talk about peace as a principle that God is restoring in the tabernacle of David. then I want to encourage you this morning. Take what I'm sharing very serious. Not because of what I'm sharing, but because of how passionate the God is. About this peace that he wants to function in your life. The Bible says of Jesus that he is also the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. But let's start. And um, before I say things I actually wanted to say later. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything. By prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Isn't it a beautiful scripture? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. This scripture is an amazing scripture. And it shows the superior ability of godly peace. The first thing that we figure out about this piece is that it is a piece that surpasses all our understanding. In other words, it doesn't make any rational sense. The effects of this piece creates in the individual a state of mind where he can be in such a state of peace while people on the outside of, of your life say, "But how can you be so peaceful? Can you not see what is going on? How can the pe- how can you be so calm? Are you in complete denial?" Now, no, absolutely not. The man whose life is ruled by peace is not in denial of his storms, like we said last week. To live in peace does not mean that you live in the absence of storms. It simply means you have learned how to turn the wind of resistance into the wind of momentum. You have learned. Learn, you are learn What do you mean? Yes, Paul says Christ is learned. We have to learn how to, to think this way. But before we go on, just to put in your mind also, as I have it, this respect for this type of peace that we are talking about. Firstly, it's the peace of God. It's not the peace of the world. It's not an earthly peace. It's the peace that comes from God. God is peace. That is his nature. That's his being. But what we want to see is that this peace surpasses, it goes beyond all rationalism, all understanding. Any carnal thought. In other words. There's nothing that I in my natural ability carry. That can understand that peace. But that doesn't mean that that peace is not accessible for me. It just tries. God just tries to tell me something about the purity. Of this peace that is available for me. And every child of God. As you know has this available for them. The people in the world only has available to them the peace that they can create. But as we will say a bit later, the peace that the world can create is extremely conditional, extremely temporal, extremely one-sided, has no longevity of life at all, but the Peace that comes from God is of a completely different nature and it's of a completely different order. So it has the ability, the second thing we see is that this peace has the ability to guard the heart and the mind from anxiety. I was just quickly reading through some statistics um, on on the internet and I know it's a dangerous thing to do sometimes. But just on, you know, the statistics that speaks about people suffering from anxiety in the world. And the percentages is is actually scary. You know, of people that suffers from anxiety and they suffer from it on a daily basis. And there are many reasons why people suffer from anxiety. You've had a traumatic experience. Maybe somebody passed away in your life and maybe your marriage is not a safe place you know uh, maybe you have a particular view of who you are maybe you know the financial pressure that you find yourself under whatever the reason is anxiety is a reality but the bible is very clear that the peace of god that surpasses all understanding is by its very nature able to successfully deal With whatever anxiety is in your heart. Whatever anxiety, whatever caused it, wherever it comes from, this peace has the ability to bring that to ground zero. Again, children of God, come on. Are we not blessed? For we have this available. We choose to subject ourselves only to worldly peace. But this morning, you have a choice to open yourself up to godly peace. And let that rule your heart. It is a supernatural force which is able to keep the believer in a state of rest. I believe this is all my heart. Every believer should be a master in the ability to stay. In the mindset of complete and utter rest. Even though he can be the director of 10 companies. Being married. Having children. Being subject to all of the stresses of the world. Still as a believer you can function from a place called rest. Because the principle of peace governs your heart. That is what we are called for. So what we see about peace is, number one, it's essential. And what we will see in this teaching, if we can finish it all today, is that it is a heavenly and a godly order, and you don't access this peace simply because you randomly decide, I want a bit of this peace. There's a way, there's a pathway. The scriptures is very clear. There's a direct path to come to this place of peace. We see also that it's a heavenly strategy. So as a businessman, I want to encourage you, if you're a businessman and you're a child of God, then, you know, every believer actually must be under, able to understand the strategy of peace and the principle of peace. But in the, in the cutthroat business world that we live in today, if you have this principle, this building block in the tabernacle, tabernacle of David working for you, Oh, my goodness. Not only do I say, will you, you know, have, you know uh, at least stay sane at the end of the financial year. But you'll be able to sk- stay in that very important place with, of, of, of creativity and competitiveness. But that's, that's, for, that's for another day. So, it's a strategy. It's a blessing. This peace of God is a blessing. This peace of God is a grace In other words, it is a spiritual substance that comes directly from the nature of God. It is also not from this world. So don't try and find it in the world. The peace that comes from God doesn't come from the world. You can't find it in the world. In other words, worldly systems. It only comes from the heart of the Father. And it's directly deposited into the heart of whomsoever is willing to receive it. And then also it leads you to a life of victory. We said that it's an order. When we say it's an order, we have to obviously explain what that means. And this order, you will see, simply refers to how you access it. And I want you to go with me to Hebrews chapter 7 verse 1 to verse 2. When I was in Estonia, my spiritual brother Urs just casually before one of his sessions, said something about peace. But when he just, in that moment, mentioned the word peace, it's as if God just dropped in my spirit an an atomic bomb, and I just have not been able to move past that. And everything I do, every time I study scripture, it's like this is the only thing that comes into my mind. And I really believe it's essential for 2019. Not because something is special about 2019. But there's a lot of Christians that have lost their peace. And they have lost their joy. As we have said last week, we saw this in Romans 14. Peace is an essential component of the kingdom of God. And so if you lose your joy and you lose your peace, what is actually happening is the kingdom of God is slowly but surely Um, through various reasons, been ripped out of your heart. And all that will be left at the end of the day is that you are a religious believer. But the rule of God has left your spirit. And so I really, you know, part of the fact that we are doing a teaching is that we are also bringing an awareness to you that there is a peace available. So how do we access this? Firstly, we need to see that this is an order. There is a specific order. It speaks in Hebrews chapter seven about Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek, for those of you that love to study Scripture, Melchizedek really was the son of, of, of Noah, in Seth. He was, uh, uh, you know, he was a real man. Many people think he's not a real man because you know the New Testament says he has no genealogy. When the Bible speaks about the fact that he has no father, no mother, no genealogy, it's not. It just simply says that. That this name and this, this order is not from this world. But it comes from the heart of the father. And, and so it's born out of his heart. It's a spiritual order. It's an order that stands through generations. And we're not talking about Melchizedek this morning. But we want to say one or two things about him. This verse says, Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem originally before Jerusalem was. Jerusalem was Salem. For king of Salem... Priest of the most high God who met Abram returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So this was the spiritual father to Abram. continue. To Abram who also t- gave a tithe of everything that he had. T- Abram tithed upwards to Melchizedek. He brought his tithes to Melchizedek. He is the Mel- Melchizedek in Abram's life. And again there's much to say about that but I've topic is peace this morning one was, so, so it then says that abraham gave a tenth of part of all first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of salem meaning king of peace and uh, hebrews chapter 5 and verse 6 you can just read there or quickly go there if you want to hebrews 5 and verse 6 is, <clears throat> says and he also says in another place you are a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The word order is important here at the moment for our discussion. And the word order here is the word taxis. It means a regular arrangement. It also means a fixed succession in rank or order. It comes from the word "tasso," not taco, but "tasso," which means order in a particular manner. There is a specific order in which we access peace and it starts, as we see in the verses that we've read, through righteousness. You cannot access the peace of God if the principle of righteousness has not become a revelation to you. Now righteousness, again, is something that we will talk about in the months to come. But let me just say this. Righteousness, many people say, simply means to have a right standing with God. Righteousness also means that you as a human being are being reformed to that original plan that God had for your life before the foundation of the earth. Righteousness is a gift. You can't work for your own righteousness. It's a gift. It came to you through the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we all know the scripture. For he who knew no sin... Became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Your righteousness and the meaning of your righteousness is found in the relationship that you have with Christ. And so it's a gift. Righteousness is essential. And it, has, it gives access and understanding to the fullness of God. So peace and this important peace that we are talking about is something that, and we also read it now again through scripture, that is accessed through righteousness. And righteousness is an important word for every believer to understand. God has made you righteous. There is positional righteousness and practical righteousness. And I don't want to labor on this point, but positionally God has declared you righteous. Your walk with God Is a walk in where you are living out and finding out how to live out practical righteousness. Amen? So let's also read Isaiah 32 verse 17 to verse 20. I love these words, these scriptures. This will maybe clarify it even a bit more. Isaiah 32 verse 17 to 20. Isaiah 32. Alright, just tell me when it's up there. I'm going to start reading so long. And the work of righteousness... Ah, there we go. (laughs) Thanks, Azile. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect... Of righteousness shall be quietness and assurance forever. Verse 18. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Isn't that an interesting scripture? The work of righteousness shall be peace. In other words, again we come to this point where you cannot access peace, the peace of God apart. From the righteousness of God. Peace is, you know, we must move beyond this idea that peace is just that calming emotion. When there are no storms in my life. Listen, family, you'll have storms in your life until you die. (laughs) Now I'm not prophesying doom and gloom. That's just how it is. So don't try and rush away from your storms. Learn how to understand peace and run into your storm and declare to that very thing, peace unto thee. And see how the wind of resistance becomes the wind of momentum. The work of righteousness shall be peace. I just feel there's so much to say about that. But I want to move on. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in peaceful habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. When it shall hail, not little drizzle, when it shall rain, hail coming down on the forest. And the city shall be low in a low place. Blessed are they that sow besides all waters. So what it says is that there's a city and hail is hitting the city. And the city is in the lowest of the lowest place. But those who are of the righteous, those who have received their righteousness from God, they are in relationship with God. And now that righteousness is a force inside of them is able to create peace. They, in the midst of this very low, low season, are able to live in peaceful habitations. That's what the scripture is saying. Isn't it powerful? Now, righteousness produces peace. This peace, look at what it creates. Number one, it creates peaceable habitations. We have read that. Peaceable habitations. What does that literally mean? It speaks about friendly environments, prosperous environments, and environments of complete and utter rest. My goodness, may this be a characteristic of this household forever. Guys, I can't do this by myself. (laughs) We need to buy into the whole idea that we want to see the peace of God reign in this environment. Don't you want to have a church and be part of a church where the peace of God really is ruling in reigning? Creating that habitation of prosperity and friendliness and complete rest? yes so it's going to take more than a bit of an amen it's going to take the individual believer to say but father i want to have the righteousness in me create this environment of peace in this environment and not only here at church but also at your house you can practically already see how that this peace that surpasses all your understanding by the grace of God, is diffused from your own body when you allow righteousness to have its way in your life. It says the second thing that it creates sure dwellings. Hebrews, the Hebrew language simply says that this means, it speaks of a dwelling of refuge, a dwelling of hope, a dwelling of trust. The church will again become a beacon of hope and trust in a community when they understand who they are in Christ as the righteousness of God and when the peace of God again that's upon all understanding returns to the church then and then alone will the church again be a beacon of hope a beacon of refuge and a beacon of trust and I want to prophesy that If you want to receive that this morning over your house, over your marriage, that your house will become a beacon of hope and a beacon of refuge, a true, sure dwelling. Why? Because righteousness is having its way in your life through the decisions that you are making. It becomes visible and evident. the evidence becomes sure and uh, standing fast. That you're making good decisions and that you're submitting yourself to the way of righteousness. And as a result of that, peace comes to your house. Listen. Peace is so much more than keeping opposite forces in different corners. Because sometimes in a marriage, you feel like an opposite force. And now the opposite corners is your very own house. And you think that there is no peace in the house. No, just co- it's called silence before the bomb drops. No. Sons of God, we are of a different breed. The peace we have is of a different nature and a different caliber. Let's not bring the peace. When we talk about peace, let us understand what we actually are saying. I really want to encourage you this morning. I'll give you my notes. Go listen to this message again. But study this. Get it right. Become. You know what the Bible says, and we'll read this later on in the book of Mark uh, Luke, where it says, when you find the man of peace, let your peace rest on him. Be a man and a woman of peace. That doesn't mean you should tolerate everything. That's what the world likes to teach. Absolute tolerance. We get peace in the world by letting people decide on a Monday morning whether they are a man or a woman. Listen, there's only two types of chromosomes, X's and Y's. Okay? You're either an X, Y, or an XX. Like, you can't move beyond that. Yeah, it's true. Now we live in a world where we want to be like, you know, just just tolerate everything, and that's going to be that will bring peace. It will not bring peace. It will bring confusion. It's the recipe of how you bring Babylon back into the earth, which will cause utter destruction. So while the world thinks it's creating a beautiful peace in a peaceful environment, what it simply is generating is this ugly, fat old octopus. That may looks like it is in a place of peace, in a state of peace, but when that thing stands up, it will devour the very people that says it lives by this principle of peace. You can't have peace by absolute tolerance. Everything is okay. doesn't matter. let's just have peace. Just just let the peace in there be in the house, you do what you want to do, you do what you want to do, and you do what you want to do. You do that for a long period of time and see how that works out for you. There may be no shouting for a little while. But that's not going to create peace in your life. Remember the peace we're talking of? It's a past all understanding. That's the peace that we want. That's diffused through our lives. It creates peaceful habitations. Sure dwellings. Number three, quiet resting places. It simply means peaceful and balanced environments. A trademark of men of peace is that they sow seeds by the waters. Men of peace understand that they need to maintain the status quo of the peace in their life. And how they do that is they sow seeds by the waters. Waters is, also, is always a picture of the word. When you say you sow, it means that you're giving of yourself. A man of peace, a true man of peace understands that the status quo of peace in his life is maintained by his ability, uh, by, by, by the ability that he has to give of himself to the word of God on a continuous basis. That's how he understands. He accesses grace continuously. This peace is definitely more than a sign or more than a place where there is no accusing voices in your mind. This peace is a grace that leads to fullness. We said that last week, that the Greek word of peace literally means this, to bring you back to a place of complete wholeness. Complete wholeness. Spirit, soul, and body. That's what this peace is about. And I pray, and I was praying also this, Lord, while I'm speaking, do I pray that the spirit of peace, not sleep, but the spirit of peace, will come and rest in the lives of our people. Family, I'm serious about what I'm building. Johan, what are we building? We're building a pillar of grace on the North Coast, in the lives of people who understand relationships and how important they are. But they also understand that God wants to build and invest in them spiritual building blocks. And when these building blocks are assembled together by mutual recognition and mutual submitting, Therefore, we create an environment through our lifestyles that becomes powerful, diffuses for the power of God through human vessels. That's what we're building. We will do this, and we've been doing this for many years. But it only feels now that almost like in the last couple of years, one year or two, like God is putting me into another gear, and I like that. And it's good. (laughs) The challenge is even greater. But it feels like I've got a bigger hammer now to whack the mountain with. (laughs) If I can say that. God is awesome. I said to Esty this week. I said, Scott, get ready. There's a new momentum in the house. She says, I hope so. I says, don't hope so. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I can sense it. With much resistance comes much authority. And grace and spiritual weight is developed under immense pressure sometimes. So I want to encourage you, hang around. Open your hearts. We're talking about kingdom living in its purest form. Whatever we are saying is not abstract doctrine. Just to stay messages in the heart and the minds of people. It's to be lived out. It's to be seen on your buckies. I want to see the smile, the beautiful smile of grace and friendliness and peace on your face. When I come into your house, I want to smell peace. Not just your number 12 shoe. I want to smell peace. Or the good food that you can cook. I want to smell the presence of God. I want to taste the goodness of God when I come and drink tea in your house. Come on, man. That's what you're aiming for. Don't just occupy space and oxygen. Be part of what God is doing today, Amen. <laughs> I have no clue how long I've been. Just only ten minutes, but ten more. Oh, I always love Miriam. Just would tell me you've only preached ten minutes, man. She's a woman of the spirit. This piece is essential component to perfection. Every believer should be aware. Off and strive for the reality of godly peace. A powerful trademark of this peace is that it is according to an order that operates according to an endless life. In other words, it's not seasonal. Therefore, the peace of God is not, doesn't have to be seasonal. The peace of God doesn't have to be subject to your favorable economy. The peace of God doesn't have to be subject to your own time or favorable circumstances. The peace of God is not subject to any carnal thing. It is superior to any condition. Otherwise, we would be a bunch of emotional Christians that is happy on Monday and completely depressed on Tuesday. And if that is your situation, family, friend, there is a different spirit available for you. Don't submit yourself to that. Yeah, but I know everything. You know, you don't. Unless you live it, you don't know it. There's a lot of things we say we know, but if you don't live it, you don't know it. It's part of our Western mindset that think because we have heard of something, we now kind of like know it. The Eastern mindset: No, do show me what you've done. That will tell me if you know it. <laughs> Proof is always in there, pudding. So. There is a wide perspective that the church is supposed to be a vehicle through which peace is promoted. And that's true. I've mentioned this already, but these days it seems that under pressure, the church is trying to establish this peace through absolute tolerance. This is though not how Jesus brought heavenly peace into our environments. He used, listen very importantly, wisdom and understanding to go to the root of a problem. These two friends... Deal with why there is a problem. You now, when we want to have peace, figure out why there's a problem. <laughs> what is the root of the problem? Instead of just shouting, peace, 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 why is there not peace? And this is exactly how Jesus would establish peace. He will use wisdom and understanding to usher in godly peace. Godly wisdom and godly peace connects you to timeless sorry godly wisdom and godly understanding connects you to the timeless grace called peace wisdom and understanding connects you to peace look at this beautiful picture psalms 85 verse 10 to verse 13 can we quickly go there psalm 85 verse 10 to verse 13 <clears throat> just uh, tell me if it's there. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. <laughs> I just love the Bible. Isn't it beautiful? Truth shall spring out of the earth. And righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good. In our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the ways of his steps. I I want you to write this down. And also we can say much about this and we'll probably do that in the future. But these four principles is very important. If you think about the peace of God. You cannot separate peace from these other three um, important principles. So the first one we read, it, we just read it. The first one is mercy. The second one is truth. The third one is righteousness. And the fourth one is peace. Mercy, truth, righteousness, and peace. How are they all connected? I'm going to tell you now. God bestows his mercy upon us through his truth. This establishes us in righteousness, that we may live and rule through peace. That's how they are connected. I'm going to say it again. Four things, mercy, truth, righteousness, and peace. You get it from Psalms 85, how they're all working together. Mercy, truth, righteousness, and peace. How are they all connected? The Father bestows His mercy upon us through His truth. This truth establishes you in righteousness so that you may live and rule. True peace. That's how they are connected. So you can't say I'm going for peace, you know, godly peace, but you're going on on its as as an entity on its own. It's connected to mercy. You can never have peace with anyone if you don't have mercy for them. (laughs) You can never have peace. If your version of truth is based on personal prejudice. Your righteousness will never mean something for you. If you feel that it's your works that buys you the favor with God. But when you understand that these are four entities that comes from the heavens. And you look at how God interacts with us. And you see how he has mercy for your life. I want to say this to you if you have forgotten it. God has mercy for you. He's a merciful God. Even his judgment seat is called a mercy seat. He is a merciful God. And what comes from this mercy, mercy, mercy is heavenly truths. Matthew 4 says, This becomes your bread that you used to live and eat by. This truth creates and establishes you in righteousness. And by the way, the spiritual realm only responds to a man or woman of righteousness. It doesn't respond to the one that shouts the most, that has the biggest voice. It, shouts, it responds to the man who is clothed in white linen, which is a picture of righteousness. And that man will rule and live his life through peace. Amen?